my name's Josh, Josh Dixon. I'm, the, uh, I'm an addictions counsellor, trauma therapist and a positive psychologist. And I'm also the clinical, clinical director and founder of Resurface. And I'm delighted to have with me today my co-host, Gloria. And we will be discussing today leading by example. And Gloria, what I wanted to ask you was, in, you know, in my profession as a sort of therapist, I have to model certain behavior to my clients because if I don't I'm a fraud and I've noticed that the more deep I get into my work the more I have to sort of walk the walk as they say and this is you know something that I'm very grateful for because I, I have an external influencer as well as my own you know internal motivation but I do find you know that that it's hard it's it's hard and I think this is something that a lot of people find and I'm wondering what you what you make of that in your own life you know being a sort of spokesperson uh, thank you Josh I think it's uh, very important that we discuss this because I have a lot of colleagues who are brilliant at what they do especially doing the battle of ideas but they don't have the emotional tools as to handle what the public exposure brings when you start becoming the message that you are also sharing with people. So I think that it is very important to understand that it doesn't matter what we say as much as if we can lead by example and people actually will check up on the way that you live your life to see if there is coherence uh, and if there is congruency in between what you're saying versus what you are doing and what happens with some freedom fighters that i've known is that although they are brilliant at presenting the ideas from the free market perspective and sometimes the philosophical aspect of it what they don't like is the public eye uh, checking upon how you live your life especially uh, in latin america where yeah. you are not only held accountable of who you are but you are also held accountable on who are your parents, uh, uh, what, what is your family about, and all of this uh, brings sometimes biases in the, in, 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 in the criticism because people can be criticized, for example, to say, ah, but you defend capitalism because you were born rich and you don't know about, you know, struggling and sure. being poor. And it can be a complete fallacy, but if you don't have the adequate emotional tools as to handle the public eye, uh, you know, wanting to know more about what do you do in, in your life as to see if you are congruent with your message, then some people just get discouraged and then they don't want to do the, the, the battle of ideas outside of the academic realms where they are already accepted. Sure. And, you know, I, I do hear a lot of criticisms, particularly of, of libertarians, is that they're very happy to to write an essay and, and post the essay somewhere and then not really go any further than that. And I'm wondering if that's yeah, something I you've noticed. Yes, uh, actually, I, I've noticed that because I come from Francisco Marroquin University in Guatemala, which has been, you know, a, a free market uh, oriented uh, place with also the philosophy of Anne Rand. There are yep. a lot of people who feel very comfortable into discussing the ideas inside of the university, or I also, you know, living in, in Washington DC, like uh, working with Cato Institute within the think tanks, but not everybody wants to expose themselves and the ideas outside 
with people that um, are not, you know, used to or familiar with the terminology or who the authors are. And, and, and I think that that's the big challenge. Uh, when, when I started, you know, diffusing the ideas using the radio, mm. I was exposed to audiences that had no idea about the academic concepts of this or the philosophical concepts of this. But of course, as Anne Rand says, there are a lot of people who are already living by the principles of individualism, uh, responsibility, liberty, um, and, 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 and also what, what I find interesting is that a lot of emotional intelligence conclusions or courses on codependency, drug addictions, depression, mm -hmm are getting to the conclusion that you need to think first of yourself. So selfishness is becoming a tool for people who want to disengage from toxic relationships or addictions or depression. So some people are arriving to, to the approaches that, that we have arrived towards freedom Maybe not by the free market economics, maybe not by the philosophy of Anran per se, but because it's becoming more evident that you need to focus on yourself and be a healthy uh, human being physically and mentally in order to have healthy relationships towards all the people that you relate with, whether it be your government or, or, your, or you know, your family. So I think that that's a strategy that we can also use yeah. it's, into living by example. It's very interesting you say that just now, actually, because I do a lot of work with people suffering from codependence, addiction, etc. And within, within sort of rehab terminology, we often use um, that you have to move to a position of enlightened self-interest. And that's quite common within, because as you say, if, if you are, predominantly living your life for everyone else which is what a codependent does you will be miserable and that that within psychology is, is well accepted that you have to work on your own internal resources etc to you know to give yourself a chance and also that you know i think to lead by example you have to have self-esteem and yes. if you don't have self-esteem it's going to you you will crumble at the first obstacle you come across and as as you probably know self-esteem requires being able to ask of yourself, am I able and am I worthy? And those are, the, those are the prior questions that you need to have well in place. And I would say that maybe some of the people you're talking about who struggle to walk the walk, which is the kind of colloquial expression of leading by example, probably either have low, low self-esteem or, you know, they particularly don't think they're able enough to do this work or they're scared or they don't think they're worthy of being someone a proponent of exposing better ideas etc and i'm wondering whether that's something that you have noticed or come across in colleagues and and in opponents as well yeah i i think because i move a lot in between libertarians and also objectivists yeah i have found that when you don't have the philosophical ground that Anne Rand provides and you only repeat you know free market economics and, and, and trying to, to, you know, push the data towards people, you don't understand that, at least in Latin America, where, where I have developed my work, you have a cultural a structure that is built on the basis of destroying your self-esteem. Yeah. 
You have yeah. Catholicism, which teaches you that if you think of yourself, you're a sinner uh, uh, and, and, and you must sacrifice towards the others. Poverty is seen as a virtue in itself, right? That the, the mm. poorer you are, the bigger your your house in the heavens is going to be. Uh, and, and, and not only because of Catholicism and that religious tradition of, of self-sacrifice, you also have populist governments who teach people that they are too incapable, too useless, and too ignorant in order to know how to live their lives. So they need this politician, this messiah, that is going to solve every single one of their problems if, if they just you know like they, they they put their faith in this guy and everything is going to be taken care of and then you have also this um patriarchal ancestry uh dysfunctional way of seeing family and it's not only patriarchal it's also matriarchal where your mom and your dad always know best and if you're a kid you're not able to question you're not able to question authority. You're not able to question religion. So every day in Latin America, with domestic violence, with oppression, uh, the curiosity of a kid into understanding the world, asking why is this like this, is, is completely neglected by just saying like, uh, you know, shut up, be quiet. Kids don't ask questions. And this is something that Anne Rand talks about, right? Like the worst perversion that adults can uh, inflict into kids is annihilating their, their curiosity into understanding the world. So I, I, I see a lot of uh, misunderstanding in people who want to shove free market economics into populations that have been indoctrinated into despising freedom. Because yeah. being free means being responsible, right? The, the ability to respond onto what life throws at you. So if we don't go back and do that work that for me comes prior, and, and that involves psychology, biology, evolution, mm. uh, emotional intelligence, self-esteem, we are not going to be successful into explaining to people why capitalism and, and free market economics make sense. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I have found that, especially in the libertarian circles. Now, what I find also in some of the objectivist, um, uh, you know, experiences that, that I have had with some people, and this happened a lot in my university. When I was like freshman college, I already had peers that already read everything of Anne Rand. I, I didn't even know who Anne Rand was back then. And, and they lived by her uh, by by her you know principles and they were struggling with with some of you know personal issues some some of them may have you know complicated uh, family backgrounds some of them were you know dealing with homosexuality and, and and stuff like that and years later after having Anne ran as their main uh, you know guide yeah they completely despise her and they and they talk about the years that they were objectivists as uh, as as something that was childish and was uh, like even you know respectful uh, of the rest of the people. So I think that also what is a mistake is when you don't have the psychological tools or or you know uh, some background in emotional intelligence as to understand that it's not about following a set of rules. And I have yeah. learned that studying the, the OAC. It's not about, you know, like 
you have a book and you have to follow these rules in order to live an objectivist life. It's about how you are constantly questioning what is happening in your life. So I see in both the libertarian and the objectivist, uh, uh, you know, people that I, that I have encountered, not all of them, but, yeah. but that's what I have found. I mean, Dr. Yaron Brook talks about that. He sees, he sees that there are psychological issues that get in the way of some of the objectivist, uh, what would be the right word, uh, activists. And, you know, so, so something I wanted to ask you was, how do you practice what you preach? Well, you know, this, one, of the things, yeah. one of the things that I found is that along the way, because it, it, it's like someone, someone once asked me, what do, you first, what do you do first? Do you prepare yourself and then you go out and give the message? In my case, it wasn't like that. I was already on the radio when I was 19 and I was already studying uh, international affairs and political science. So for me, it, it, it was like every time that I was on the microphone, it was a privilege, but also a responsibility of being held accountable of what, what I was saying. So that made me very, you know, academically disciplined. Yeah. But then I started understanding that this, these ideas of liberty go way beyond, um, you know, economics and, and, and a model for society. It's a model on how to live your life. Mm. So I started, you know, leaving some friendships behind that yep. I wouldn't call friendships in the, in the sense that they would be. I had to put some limits with, with some of my family members. Uh, for example, I was raised as a Catholic. And yep. when I started studying Catholicism and the origins with the Roman Empire and, you know, uh, how the scientists uh, were, uh, were, were killed or, or, or censored, I went to my father and I said, I'm so sorry, but I, I cannot be part of this institution anymore. I won't go to mass anymore because we, we would go to mass every single Sunday. So I had to put the limits. Uh, I, I think that the first thing that you have to do when you want to live by the principles that you are teaching is that the first thing that you find is that you have to put limits. The yeah. second thing that you have to do is to revise who are the relationships that you are engaging with. And, and, and then I stopped looking at the world divided by race, by class, by, by uh, religious background, by culture, or by nationality. For me, it became a, a, a thing of, I don't care if you're Buddhist or if you are a Muslim or if you're an atheist. I want to know if you are someone that puts on as, as, as something that is, you know, a, a valuable life, liberty and private property in other individuals. And, mm. and if that is like the standard with any person that I engage in a work relationship or, or a friendship, for me, that is the important thing. And, yeah. and beyond of, be, below of that, I have friends of like super diverse uh, with, 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 with different uh, ways of living their lives. But for me, it was about that. Because then you realize that it's not only the principles that you hold, but you are going to be able to live those principles if you surround yourself with people who are coherent and, and congruent. For me, it's very important to be with people that are congruent in the things they say, the things they think, how they act. And, and, and that also guides their feelings. 
because yeah. you are you're gonna be surrounded with people who have anger feelings or uh, you know uh, sorrow feelings if if they, the things that they think have some you know incongruent premises it's not a model of perfection of course and sometimes you also find yourself having some contradictions because you're a human and that's what you're supposed to do but i think that also the other key is that you stop comparing yourself to others you just compare yourself to who you were before and yeah. and and if you find that you are more happy with yourself or more content today than you were before then it's fine and then i did something that most politicians uh, and, and people that are in the public eye, especially if they come from politics, would never do in Latin America. Because since I am blonde and, and bright eyes, because one of my grandfathers was from Hungary, in Guatemala, it is assumed that because you are with this, with this uh, physiological yeah. package, of course you have money, and of course you have never suffered in life. So whatever you're talking about, comes from a place of privilege and you live in a bubble and you don't know about uh, uh, you know poverty and all of that so I decided like already seven years ago I did a live stream uh, starting in the in the house of my grandparents from one side of the of the city of Guatemala and then I, I drove my car with some friends and I mm -hmm. start showing around all the places that I worked all the places that I lived telling my life story. And I put it out there and it was a way of saying, go and look what politician or what, you know, a public figure in Guatemala would be able to give you in full disclosure who their family is and where do they come from. This is what it is. Whatever you judge of it, judge it by the standard of, of their reality instead of having misconceptions in your mind of what, what is it about. And for me, that was also a huge uh, way of leading by example in saying, yeah. you know, don't hide where you come from, but also don't let people uh, throw uh, images of you that are completely wrong. There's nothing wrong in telling your background if you have nothing to hide. Now, that doesn't mean that my family is perfect. There has been alcoholism in my family. There has been suicides. There have been massive fights in fact half of my family stayed in cuba fighting with fidel castro you know so it's not about like putting out there the perfect image of the vogue cover magazine where your family has no issues whatsoever it's also about telling people yes you know in order to have some success in life you have had to have some failures and it's okay to have that so for me it also has been very encouraging for young people telling them uh, there's, this is the reality with, it, with everything that it has, especially because there's a lot of cyberbullying out there. And I have been one of the, of the people more attacked, not only in Guatemala, but all over Latin America for spreading my ideas. So for yeah. me, it's also very important that people that come uh, after me have some example on how to deal with this. Uh, in, uh, uh, instead of just, you know, quitting the quitting the battle of ideas and saying, no, you know, that's not for me, which has also happened. I have friends that after three days of having public social media, they say, I don't know how you can handle this. There's so much hate out there. I cannot deal with this. And, and, sure. and they just close it. Yeah. yeah.
So yeah, resilience is probably one of the most important factors in all of this, leading by example. Something I just wanted to, to reflect to the audience and to you and just to see, maybe we'll end on, on how you respond to this, is that the reason I see leading by example is so important is because you have to be attractive to someone else in what you do. You have to become a value in your actions. So I have to practice what I preach, but let's say, let's take a, a recovery from drug addiction. The thing that makes a real difference to recovering addicts is when they see someone who used to be an addict and then is clean and living a different kind of life. And what they do is they see that person and they go, I want a piece of that. Or they see a happy person and they say, I want to learn how to be happy. Or they see someone who's got self-esteem and is you know, built up a, a business and doing well. People want a piece of that. That's what drives people forward. So if you want to make any kind of cultural change, you have to show by example what that looks like. Yep. Because I can quote to you all the facts and figures of 19th century capitalism and all these and quotes from Atlas Shrugged and everything. And no one will really, it goes over their head. But if you see someone being happy and you're seeing someone being successful, that's what draws people in. And that's, I think, is something that maybe is missing in a lot of activism, is that so many people want to, people want to be happy. Yeah. And objectivism is the philosophy that shows people how to be happy. And yet so many people concentrate on politics. But if we can also show people how to thrive and people say, hey, Josh is happy, Gloria is happy, I want a piece of that. That's what motivates action, I think, much more. And, and it goes back to that emotional um, resilience you were talking about right at the beginning and when we were first talking. And so that's why I see leading by example is so important because I have to, I have to be that person that I'm talking about because that's what attracts people. And I'm wondering I, if that, what you make of that. I absolutely agree with you. In fact, there is a, a, a very good doctor entry about the hero's path and how the hero's path has been synthesized in how the hero starts and then he he goes away to have a journey of self-discovery and and then he can come back and make a change and basically that hero's path is the one that has been used in every single story that teaches humanity something to live by and I think that that's why Anne Rand was so brilliant in her fiction because she showed us the hero's path of all of her characters and the ones that didn't want it to, to, to go in that path and the contradictions and the unhappiness that they accumulated because they didn't want to, to you know, uh, overcome those contradictions. And that, that hero's journey has been used in Star Wars, in Lord of the Rings, in every Disney movie. Uh, and it's because something that Tyrion Lannister says in Game of Thrones, the only thing that people always remember is stories, yeah. is personal stories. It is, a, it, it, now we know that in every culture, the way that, you know, it, it's more efficient in order to, to pass a message or a lesson or something that will actually be useful for your life is through stories. So if yeah. we start sharing our life stories, there are messages in there that can be super valuable. If, if the way that I live my life will lead the example for someone to have the adventure of applying for a scholarship 
and study in another country elsewhere than Guatemala or elsewhere than Latin America, things that have happened and, and, and people that have written to me and say, thank you for that radio show where you talk about this scholarship I applied and now I'm studying architecture in Spain or advertising in Germany, whatever it is, for me, that is way more valuable than if, you know, Guatemala one day becomes a free market country, which I would also love. But if, if I can impact with my example, other people as to be brave enough and saying, yeah, it's okay to, fa to fail. But, but if I fail, eventually I will succeed. I think that that is, a, that is something that we need to do more and more and not be afraid of sharing our own stories and the human part in us uh, and remembering that that was also uh, the huge success of, of Rand with the Fountainhead yeah. and Atlas Shrug. And that's what led her afterwards to then, in her nonfiction, put down all the, all the guidelines and the principles yeah. in order to, to become those, those characters. Absolutely. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk today. You know, you, it's, you you've, really, you've reminded me very much of my favorite scene in The Fountainhead, which is the boy on the bicycle and how much he was inspired by Howard Rourke. And, uh, you know, Howard Rourke always led by example. He just was totally independently himself. And that, I think, is the, the biggest example we can give to anyone. So tomorrow's show will be hosted by Rucker and Nikos, and uh, Zuby will be the guest, and the topic will be the silent majority. But, Gloria, you have a fantastic evening. And Thank uh, you. Thanks, you so much, thanks so much for all your insight. And... Uh, Look forward to hearing you soon. Thanks very much. Look forward to. Bye. Bye. See you.